And lastly, I want to invite our intern pastor, Jason Kim. He leads the Sojourners Group for Harvest uh, to come up and lead us in a God's Word. Good morning. Actually, I have a couple announcements real quick. Uh, which are called College Large Groups. They start this Thursday, so uh, we'll be meeting in the fellowship room downstairs. If you have any questions about it, uh, just contact myself. Um, as well, uh, Saul and Angela are going to be leading a Crown Financial Study for college students, so if you're interested in that, I guess contact me as well. And um, the last thing I want to just uh, congratulate and also welcome this uh, Roots seniors that have graduated. They have joined our congregation, so that opportunity to spend um, just going down watching their uh, graduation ceremony is definitely a blessing. I've realized just how far I am from that age now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, if we could just um, open with a word of prayer. God, we thank you that you are God and you are who you are. And, Lord, I thank you that it's not by my words, but it's by your word and your spirit that hearts are changed. And, Lord, we ask that you'd open up the eyes of our hearts to see you more clearly. And, God, that your word would be just that uh, double-edged sword just piercing our hearts so that you may begin to just renew us, restore us, and um, change us, God, so that we may become the men and women that you have uh, called us to be. So we thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Wow. I don't think – well, I was kind of reflecting back on – um, just everything that brought me up to this place uh, to be able to speak to you guys. And um, I think I, about two years ago, I remember standing in the sanctuary by myself, and I just got kicked out of NIU. And, um, and I remember I met with Young, and he told me, you know what, Jason, I'm getting married, I'm going on missions, and I need you to lead the college ministry. And um, I think part of me just looked at him as if he was crazy. He was asking a person that, got kicked out of college to lead a college ministry. And I was just wondering, you know, I don't think I can do it. You know, I, I, just, I just don't feel qualified to do it. And I think through that summer, God showed me just um, more than anything, it's God that works. And uh, just this message today is about remembering who we are in Christ and to uh, just basically acknowledge just that identity in Christ more than, um, I guess, our talents or our abilities that is uh, God's calling that really matters. So um just want to start with the story of a praying child. Um, actually, I'm stealing it from another sermon. So um, there was a little boy who wanted a bicycle, and uh, he didn't know how best to pray for one. And so he was watching television one day, and then, um, you know, he saw this traditional service going on. So, you know, at the end of the day, he said, Lord, if you are sovereign, you know, in your sovereign rule, in your eternal plan, you know, would you bless me with this bicycle? Amen. And, you know, a couple of days passed, and he's just wondering, you know, I don't, I don't feel very confident about that prayer. And then uh, he was watching TV again, and he saw this, another service, and then he said, um, you know, um, he said, would you bless me with a bicycle? Um, what do you call it? Would it be nice and blue delivered to my house in 24 hours? I declare and I claim it in the name of the Lord. Amen. And finally, you know, he felt a little unsure. And again, you know, he was just thinking, how am I going to get this bicycle? And finally, he saw a statue of Jesus on his uh, 
I guess, book, uh, bookcase, and then he's, he took it, and his mom was watching, and then uh, he took it, and he hid it. And later on that night, uh, his mom came back, and he was look, she was looking for the uh, statue, and then she saw a little note on his desk, and it said, Jesus, if you want to see your mother. I think kind of like, that's kind of my heart sometimes when I want things in life. You know, you try to think of just clever ways of coming to God and praying. I think a lot of ways our theology and our ways of thinking have been so um, formed by what we observe and not by the word of God. And I think that story kind of shows just how easily um, our hearts and our minds uh, think that we know, um, I guess, think that we know the way we're supposed to do things, but yet um, sometimes we're so lost. So, Yeah, I think just trying to prepare for today, I was, I don't know, I was trying to think of just an easy message to preach because I think this is my fourth time ever preaching. So, um, and I don't know, for some reason, God put uh, the story of Saul on my heart and just this understanding of this character who was uh, risen up by God to be the king of Israel. But yet, because of a lot of ways where he struggled in his own identity and finding himself in uh, just the, I guess, just the opinions of others and as well as uh, just trying to seek himself and uh, just seeing himself in the accomplishments that he kind of lost himself in all that and forgot who he was. So, um, yeah, I'm going to read from 1 Samuel 8, uh, 4, 4 to 7. And kind of the background of Saul is uh, there's the, I guess it's, He's the first king that got uh, chosen by God, and the nation was kind of in turmoil right now because the Philistines and all these nations were surrounding it, and they're attacking it, and um, they're worried because they felt like, you know, what's going to happen to us? Are we going to die? And they all around the other nations, they saw that they had these human kings, and, you know, for Israel, God was supposed to be their king, and um, to them, you know, they couldn't see God, and they couldn't tangibly, I guess, see him as a leader, as a fighter. So they cried out to uh, Samuel, and they asked him, you know, can you ask God to give us a human king? And I think um, a lot of that just showed their fear in terms of, you know, they, they saw the circumstances around them. They couldn't trust God. I think it kind of foreshadows a lot of just Saul's life and the way he kind of went about things. So we'll start with 1 Samuel 8. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they, sa- when, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this, this, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. I think this just showed that um, to Samuel, God was supposed to be their king. And um, the people just needed to see a human king. And this was definitely against what... God had intended, as well as what was on Samuel's heart. And, um, but as Samuel prays, God just uh, convicts him to anoint uh, Saul as king. So we're going to go 1 Samuel 9, verses 1 to 2. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becheroth, the son of Aphia of Benjamin. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites. A head taller than any of the others. And then we're going to go to verse 21. Saul answered, But am I not a Benjaminite from the smallest tribe of Israel? Is not my clan the least 
of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin. Why do you say such a thing to me? I think a lot of times, just as I was sharing before, that to him, he was a, he, to him, and outwardly, he was set apart from everybody else. He was the tallest. He was the. Um, it said that he was an impress, impressive young man, and uh, and it was God that called him. And I think in his verse, in the verse, it says, you know, but I'm not a Benjamite, and he's from the smallest clan, and he's doubting God's calling on his life, and he's doubting whether God can really use him. I I definitely feel for Saul because um, I think. Just thinking back, um, I can't believe that I am where I'm at today because, uh, you know, I think a lot of ways, a lot of my life, people had seen, like, there's potential, there's potential. But for me, I always saw myself kind of very small in my own eyes, unsure of myself, kind of insecure. And, um, yeah, I definitely feel for him. We're going to go first Samuel 10, 2027. 20, it says, when Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was chosen. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he had hidden himself among the baggage. They ran and, and brought him out. As he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, long live the king. Just kind of picturing that scenario. Here's Saul, who had been anointed by, anointed by Samuel, and, you know, in front of all the tribes of Israel, um, you know, they call out all the tribes, and finally, you know, they're, they're looking at Saul's family, and they're like, where's Saul? Where's Saul? And then it says, I don't know, I found it kind of strange. It said, yes, he has hidden himself among the baggage. And, you know, they, they constantly say that he's a head taller than anybody. I don't know what he's thinking, trying to, hide in the baggage, but, um, you know, he's trying to hide and run away from God's call. And, um, I don't know, it's kind of my tendency in my heart to uh, kind of run away and kind of be scared and unsure of where God's placed me. And, uh, yeah, I think I think in a lot of ways I can empathize with Saul and definitely uh, recognize him. But I think also it also showed kind of in his psyche he had this inferiority complex that all his abilities, all the things that God's blessed him with, but yet he still feels like he's not able to um, do what God's called him to do. And um, I think part of that is a danger that we have to look out for ourselves, that when God calls that we have to understand that who we are and what he's made us to be is perfectly enough for what he's called us to do. And for us not to be unsure of ourselves, but to be confident, to know that um, God's calling is enough, and who he's made us to be is enough. I guess just to uh, get into the points of my message, just the first idea is, um, you know, the thought of, is Saul changed or is he converted? The uh, second point is this idea of confronting our fears in comparison. And um, we're going to look into 1 Samuel fifteen twelve to 20. It says, early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul had gone to Carmel. There he had set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gil- Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instruction. But Saul said, what then is the ble- bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of ca- cattle that I hear? Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. 
They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. He sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Malachites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you not pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on to the mission the Lord signed me. I completely destroyed the Malachites and brought Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to you, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. 1 Samuel 15.30, Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. I don't know if you caught that, but three times he refers to God as your God and not my God. I think that's something to... Um, be wary about as we look into just the life of Saul. And I think it applies to our lives today that I think um, oftentimes um, our outer lives and the diff- I guess the outer perspective of our lives are changed, but I think the inward parts of us aren't fully changed. I remember uh, it's been two years since I went to basic training, and uh, I remember the first thing they emphasize is, you know, you're a soldier now, you're a soldier. And, um, you know, I remember getting my head shaved. They dressed us all in the same clothes. And I remember the first time I went to qualify on the weapons range. Uh, it was raining that day, and we're wearing our bulletproof vests. We're wearing all this stuff. And then I remember looking at this sand pit, and it was just nasty. You know, it was, it was just sand with water. I remember thinking, God, I'm not going into that. I'm not going into that. Like, I don't know, part of me just felt... I don't know. It was just like, ew, I don't want to step into that. And then another part is like, come on, Jason, you're a soldier, you know? And I was just thinking, oh. And then finally I hear a drill sergeant yell at me. I just run and I just go into it. I just feel the water soak into my uniform and get, I'm just like, I'm so dirty. This is nasty. I'm so miserable. And, uh, yeah, I just felt like, but at the end of it all, I think I felt just a little bit more of a man, a little bit more of a soldier. I think um, at the same time, it was hard at basic training to transition from a civilian to a soldier. And I think a lot of times for us, um, it's hard to really let go of the old ways and to really take on that new identity that God has for us. And, um, yeah, and I think part of that is really taking ownership of who God's called us to be. And um, for Saul, he he consistently... Tell Samuel, do it for your God, your God. I think we need to recognize that many times that's us in our hearts. Um, I also want to share a story about Jonathan Wesley. If you don't know him, he's um, least started the Methodist denomination. But um, uh, he was about five feet tall. And throughout his lifetime, he preached 40,000 sermons. He traveled 250,000 miles and worked with 15 different languages. Um, at 83, he got angry at his doctor because he could only speak 14 times a week. At the age of 86, he wrote in his journal that he felt like laziness was creeping in because he had a tendency to wake up at 5.30. And um, here was a man that was just, I literally have to say, possessed by God to do all that and to accomplish so much. And um, God did amazing things through him. But uh, there was a story that was shared about him. In 1737, um, he was leaving Savannah, Georgia, back to England, and a missionary asked him this question. 
Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal redeemer? He replied, I firmly believe that Jesus Christ came to save this world of their sin. He, the missionary asked, do you personally know Jesus Christ as your redeemer? He says, I really believe that Jesus Christ is a worthy sacrifice. The missionary asked him again, John, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your personal savior? And he packed up his bags and left for England. And there in England, he was going to a church service, and he heard the uh, preface of Romans by Martin Luther, and he's, he talks about the warming of his heart. And it was finally that at this time he knew all the doctrine, all the, all the right things to say as a Christian, that we know that Jesus loves us, we know that he's forgiven us, but um, he hadn't experienced it for himself. And it says, um, you know, it was necessary for him to understand and to personally uh, have that transaction before God to say that, you know, you are my Savior. And um, he, has, he also had to understand that God's big enough as well as small enough to know that, you know, he loves him. And I think uh, St. Augustine puts it best when he says, God loves you as if you're the only one to love. Um, and Ravi Zacharias says, uh, God wants us to understand not just the doctrinal fact of his love, but also the emotional intensity and the reality of his love. Love is not only a word describing commitment, as vital as that is, it is also a concept that engenders feeling. And as we come and uh, think about God's love and just who he is, um, I think, especially in ministry, if you're serving a lot, it's easy to try to keep on serving and serving and say, oh, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you. But yet, so, so, somewhere deep inside of our hearts, there's something that you know, we haven't reconciled. We're trying to find redemption through um, helping others. I think what God calls us to do is really find redemption in him first. And I think the rest of that is just an outpour of, um, of our ministry. So, um, the second point I just wanted to draw from Saul's life is really confronting our fears and our insecurities. Uh, here's a man that stood uh, tall, a head taller than anyone in his kingdom, but yet he was racked with insecurities. And um, Yeah, I don't know, part of me can't fully understand why, but at the same time, I can relate with him. Um, I think two of the things that really really broke broke apart his identity was, one, he disobeyed uh, the commands of God twice, and because of that, Samuel took away, um, I guess, his support. And I think a lot of who Saul saw himself to be was because of Samuel uh, declaring him as king and I think with Samuel pulling away that support, uh, Saul, was, Saul was a lost person. Uh, we're going to go into 1 Samuel 13, 5 through 14. It says, uh, The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sands on the shore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Bethaven. When the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings. Just as he finished the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done, asked Samuel, Saul replied. Uh, Saul replied, when I saw the men were scattering, they did not come. At the set time, and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. And I have not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt sacrifice. Uh, you acted foolishly, Samuel said. You have not kept the commandment 
the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of the people because you have kept the Lord's command. I think he saw just uh, the people leaving him and uh, he felt like he had to do something. He looked at the situation. It was dire. The armies were coming against him and he was just waiting for Samuel, waiting and waiting. And then, um, you know, he never came when he was supposed to come. So Saul took it in a matter of his own hands. He said, all right, I'll just offer the sacrifice. So he offered it and Samuel was uh, just displeased because he disobeyed uh, God's commandment. And yeah, I think... Um, it's easy to feel like we're so essential or so important for something to happen that it's in our control to make things happen. And um, God knows my heart really well. And, uh, you know, part, part of me sometimes regrets joining the military, but at the same time, I think it was part of God's sovereign plan because, um, yeah, in a lot of ways, I think I have, um, I feel like I'm important, I'm essential. When I'm leading a ministry, I think I have to be there, I have to be there, but yet, because I don't know when God's going to take me any time. I have to trust God. And um, I remember one time uh, I was talking with Pastor Dave, and he told me, you know what, Jason? Uh, you, don't really, you don't really have a lot of faith. I was like, thanks, Pastor Dave. And he said, you know, if you ever want to go into this profession, you're going to have to learn to trust God. And I don't know, it stuck with me because, um, you know, he was right. I'm kind of a self-made guy that... You know, all the things I've done, all the things I've acquired, I've always attributed to my hard work or to whatever I have. But yet, um, you know, I was, and I'm, I'm so unwilling to wait on God's timing. And uh, yeah, I think Saul's the same way that uh, he saw all that was going on. And he's like, oh, you know, forget it, God, I got this. And he saw the people was like, don't worry, I'll get the confidence of the people. And he offered that sacrifice. And, um, you know, I think. Part of that grieves God's heart because he wants us to go through life with him. And, um, yeah, I think that's something Saul didn't do. Uh, we're going to go into 1 Samuel 18, 5 through 9. Uh, whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from the towns of Israel to meet King Saul, with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and toots. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul was angry. This refrain galled him. They had cried David with tens of thousands, he thought, but with me only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And, um, yeah, I think... The problem with Saul was that he compared himself with other people. Um, you know, it's very contrary to John the Baptist, where um, you know, Jesus comes and you know, he says in John 3.30, he must become greater, I must become less. And um, I think for Saul, so much of his identity was seen in the people that he had to be number one. He compared himself with David, and without that comparison, he couldn't really know who he was. And, um, yeah, I think... If I sat here trying to compare myself to Pastor Dave or even Pastor Frank in speaking abilities, there would be no way I would stand up here before you guys. But, um, you know, I think comparison definitely uh, it kills the heart of who we are and the dignity of what God has given us. Um, I'm just going to paraphrase from 1 Kings 3, 16 to 28. Uh, it's a story about uh, two prostitutes, and they, they both get pregnant. I don't know if you guys probably know this story, but 
Um, they both, one has a baby and one has a baby three days later. And um, the, one of the women actually, acts, I don't know how this happened, but she accidentally lays on her baby and kills him. And then um, late in that night, she steals all the woman's baby. So they, they come before the king and they ask, you know, who, they're asking the king to deliver justice. Who deserves a king? And um, one of the women exclaims, you know, uh, you know, uh, accusing that she stole my baby, and the other woman says, "No, she's, you know, that's my son. That's my son." And yet they go, they argue back and forth, back and forth. And finally, the king, you know, asks for a sword, and he says, "You know, I'm going to cut the babies in half. I'm going to give one to one mother, one to other mother." And, um, you know, one of the mothers exclaims, "You know, don't kill the baby. Just give it to the other mother." But the other one says. You know, kill the baby. You know, it's better that we don't, it's better that he dies than we, we uh, have half. And um, the king realized that it was the mother that wanted the baby to live. That was the real mother. I think it's a powerful story of who, of humanity and how a lot of times I think we think of things logically or rationally that one plus one equals two, but yet half plus half a baby doesn't equal one. And I think in comparison, when we start comparing ourselves with other people, with um yeah, just other people that we kind of destroy the fabric of our identity and also our dignity that God has given us. That you know, people aren't made to be um, reduced or subtracted to qualities themselves, but it's the personhood of of who we are that really matters. And um, I think Saul failed to see that. That constantly he saw himself in the midst of the qualities and the accomplishments that he made and that he didn't make. And I think that's why he couldn't um, be happy when he saw David. Uh, you know, when they were singing the song, I guess. Yeah, I think uh, the last point I want to make is... Um, from First Samuel fifteen seventeen, It says, Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, uh, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. This is Samuel saying... Saul, don't you recognize that I made you king over Israel? That you constantly see yourself small in our own eyes, small in your own eyes. I think that's the greatest problem that we have today as Christians, that we forget who we are in Christ, that so many times we see ourselves, we see our sins, we see our inability to do so many things, and yet we forget that, you know, who we are are children of God. I think that's the most important thing I want to convey to you guys today, that, um, you know, because of, what Christ did on the cross, that we can be called children of God, and that we have to look out for the things that, uh, that we can see in Saul's story, that a lot of times in, um, in realizing that sometimes we're changed people, but we're not converted people, that Christ has changed the way, our ways that we, see, that we uh, interact with people. Maybe we, we don't swear as much. Maybe we don't do certain things, but yet inwardly we're not completely changed. I think that's one thing to look out for. As well, I think um, another thing is just, really stopping to uh, compare ourselves with other people, but really finding who we are in Christ and to not even compare other people um, with ourselves. Because I think um, a lot of times the way we look at ourselves is the lenses that we look through. We look at other people and how we measure them. And if we're not measuring them through God's eyes, then um, oftentimes you know, we're just using other people to make ourselves uh, look greater in our own eyes. Um, yeah, and... I think this is one of the most important lessons I've learned uh, just in these couple of years that I've kind of, I don't know, came from 
I don't know. I, I never thought I would be in this place, to be honest. I never thought that uh, God would call me to uh, speak in front of people. I actually hate speaking in front of people. And, uh, yeah, a lot of my insecurities, a lot of my nervousness is because, um, you know, a lot of my confidence comes in my own abilities. I'm just, oftentimes when I look at myself, I don't think I'm quite able. But um, I definitely stand before you guys today because I know that um, it's God that definitely works in our in our hearts, and he's the one that changes. And um, I want to read the story. I was, I was getting a haircut yesterday, and I, don't know, I was just breezing through men's health. And I remember this story a while ago. Um, I don't know. You guys should uh, go onto YouTube and look it up. But uh, it's about this guy, uh, Richard Hoyt Jr. And he's a, he has cerebral palsy. And uh, it's just an inspiring story of just him and his father. I'll just read it. It says, uh, my name is Richard E. Hoyt Jr., and I have cerebral palsy. I cannot speak or walk. To write this story, I'm using a computer with special software. When I move my head slightly, the cursor moves across an alphabet. When it goes to the letter I want, I press a switch on the side of my head. I'm half of Team Hoyt. We are a father and son team, and we compete in marathons and triathlons around the world. Our goal is to educate people about how the disabled can lead normal lives. We started racing in 1979. My high school is having a road race to raise money for a lacrosse player who's paralyzed in an accident. I want to show this athlete that life can go on, so I asked my dad if he could push me. My wheelchair was not built for racing, but dad managed to push me the entire five miles. We came in next to last, but in the photo, photos of us crossing the finish line, I was smiling from ear to ear. When we got home, I used my computer to tell dad, when I'm running, I feel like my disability disappears. So we joined a running club and had a special running chair built and entered our first official race. Many of the athletes didn't want us to participate, but the executive director of the event gave us permission. Soon we were running three races a weekend, and we even did our first double event, a three-mile run and a half-a-mile swim. Dad held me by the back of the neck and did a side show for the entire swim. We wanted to run the Boston Marathon, but we were not allowed to enter because we had not done a qualifying run. So in late 1980, we competed in the Marine Corps Marathon in Washington, D.C., finishing in two hours and 45 minutes. That qualified us for Boston. A few years later, after a road race in Falmouth, Massachusetts, a man came up to my dad and said, you're quite an athlete. You should consider a triathlon. Dad said, sure, as long as I can do it with Rick. The man just walked away. The next year, the same man said the same thing. Again, dad, dad said he'd do it, but only with me. This time, the man said, okay, let's figure out what special equipment you'll need. So on Father's Day in 1985, we competed in our first triathlon. It included a 10-mile run, during which Dad pushed me, a one-mile swim, during which Dad pulled me in a, in a life, raft, life raft with a rope tied around his chest, and a 50-mile bike ride, during which he towed me in a cart behind him. We finished next to last, but we both loved it. Soon after, we did our first Ironman triathlon. We've now competed in more than 950 races, including 25 Boston Marathons and six Ironmans. During every event, I feel like my disability has, has disappeared. People often ask me, what would you do if you're not disabled? When I was first asked, I said I'd probably play baseball or hockey. When I thought about it some more, I realized that I told my father to sit down in my wheelchair so I can push him. If it weren't for him, I'd probably be living in a home for people with disabilities. He's not just my arms and legs, he's my inspiration person who allows me to live my life to the fullest, inspires others to do the same. And um, 
Yeah, I remember uh, watching the video and just, yeah, I have to admit that I shed a tear. <laughs> and then, um, but the story, I think, is a reflection of how I feel today, same before you guys, that, um, yeah, in a lot of ways, I don't feel quite up to the challenge to come and speak to you guys, but um, I think it's my father that carries me through and uh, gives me confidence. And um, for wherever you guys are at today, I think God wants to say the same, that he meets you where you're at. And even in the ways that you feel maybe less adequate or in the ways that you feel unsure of yourself, and God's calling you to confront your fears, to confront the things that you're scared of, um, I think this is the story he wants you to hear that, um, you know, that he carries you through no matter what and throughout life that you don't have to be afraid, but all you have to do is um, be willing. I just, I don't know, if you guys see the video, I think it, I should have got, gotten it, but <laughs> you guys probably see a better picture of what this is like. And I think this is definitely the Father's heart for all you guys and um, to not forget who we are in Christ and to remember that. Um, you know, he's definitely the one that pulls us through, um, through the, I guess, the race of life. So if we, if we could pray. I remember hearing a story. Uh, it was about a boy and a little girl. A boy had a bunch of marbles, and a girl had a bunch of candy. And they came together, and the girl said to the boy, you know, I'll give you all my candy for all your marbles. So they went back, they slept on it, and they thought about it. And then they came back the next day. But during that night, the boy looked at his marbles, and they looked so precious. He's like, you know, I'll just keep these two or three marbles. I'll give her the rest. She'll never know. And so uh, they come back together. He gives her the rest of the marbles. She gives him all his candy, all her candy. And later on that night, the boy lies awake, unable to sleep, because he's wondering if the girl gave him all the candy. I think that's kind of our hearts as we come before God, that we sometimes wonder if God's given it all to us. And we lay restless at night, wondering of our lives, when he's given it all to us, but yet we cling on to those precious marbles in our lives, thinking that if we cling on to these things, we won't lose. But yet we lay awake at night wondering if God gave it all to us. And for some of us today, I think we have marbles to give up to God. Whether it's, you know, uh, pursuing that major, or whether it's um, our jobs, our careers, or maybe it's a vision that God planted in your heart five, ten years ago of what he wanted to do in your life. But I firmly believe that today God's calling us to lay everything at his feet, to surrender and to say you know, that these identities in my career, these identities in trying to find a wife or a husband, or these identities in trying to be someone that everyone wants me to be, I have to let them go. Because who you are and who you've called me to be and because of the work of the cross is more than enough. It's so much more than enough. And this is who I am today as I stand before you. I'm not some great speaker. I'm not anything special. But I think the only thing 
that I can say is I've given up all my marbles to God and he's given me everything. And um, as you guys pray, as we close in service, just want to remind you guys that if you look in uh, 1 John, you'll see that we love because God loved us first. Yeah. He meets you where you're at. That you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be someone. And the, I think the biggest lesson in Christian life is not trying to be someone that others think you are, but to be the men and women of God that God has always intended you to be. So as we pray, well, let's ask God to speak into our hearts.